All right. Hi, everybody. This is Webinars with Wendy, and today my guest is Marie McAteer. Um, actually, it's the 81st webinar, <laughs> Rhonda. Oh, People wow. are paying attention. Yeah, this is like uh -huh. the 81st webinar. Um, and it's just been, I've enjoyed these webinars so much for so many reasons because I get to talk about my favorite thing, horses, and I get to, to talk to all these great people. And a lot of them are my friends that I can't see right now because of the pandemic. So this has just yeah. been a fabulous way to, to stay connected. Um, today is my dear friend, Marie McAteer, whom I've known since 19, no, since 2000. Yeah, somewhere around there. In mm -hmm. 2000, when I hauled two horses to Seattle, by, well, actually, I went out with a friend, and then he wound up getting into vet school, so he abandoned me in Bend, Oregon, and I drove home on my own. Um, I knew some people in uh, Telluride, well, I thought they lived in Telluride, Colorado, but it turned out they were in Ridgeway. So I hauled my four horse up the hill to Telluride, only to find out that that's not where they lived. And I had to, oh yeah, I like drove into town and I had a four horse with living quarters and I had to figure out how to turn my rig around to get out. And then it was the Pat's house and I thought that they lived in Telluride because that was the address. And then somebody said, no, they live up this other hill, the firehouse told me. So I went up the other hill, they didn't live there. I turned around and I, I scared the bejesus out of myself going down out of Telluride because my the person that had driven out with me told me, never use my brakes, you know, use the engine brake on the truck and use your gears. So I'm going out of Telluride down the hill, trying mm -hmm. not to touch my brakes. Mm -hmm. um, and it was definitely, a, a, a it, I lost a few years on that one, but I survived, <laughs> the horses survived, and I got down the hill to the Patsows and met Marie McAteer. Yeah. So we've known- I, I hadn't heard that story. Oh that yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, uh, yeah. Um, I had two horses, I had Andy and a, and a little Arab with me, and uh, yeah. we, we all made it out alive. Um, my background today is uh, Hobbiton because Marie's from New Zealand. So I thought in honor of her Kiwi background, we should have a New Zealand setting. That's great. Yeah. So Marie, um, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to working equitation. How I got to working equitation? Well, I've come from a show jumping background, show hunters, traveled, trained horses, competed internationally show jumping, um, got roped into doing a 100-mile international endurance ride, did that once, That's ticked that box off, um, learned to walk again after that. And, and then around 2000 is when I really decided to give away the showing part of horses and got a fascination in training, studying training systems. So I've just spent the last... 20 years and I just go and I watch somebody or I watch a sport and I study it and see how they get the horses to do what they do and why and all that stuff and then all the body work that goes with it and the, all the stuff and it's just been a fascinating journey and I'm just so thankful for you for getting me to do this because I've gone back through 20 years and I've just gone wow, look what I did then. Oh, I wouldn't do that now. Oh, okay. Now I would do, oh my God, I've learned so much. Oh, but there's so much more to learn. Oh my God. Oh, oh, and I can do this. And it's just been great. So, you know, if, I, if, it's, if it's famous today or if it's a flop, I don't mind. I've just had the greatest time. 
Yeah. Anyway, and, you know, so. you, you, but you have really uh, gone out and found some really fascinating people to work with along the way. Um, yes. I can't remember the name of the woman that you used to have come from New Zealand who had worked with Nuno Alavara and then you brought her to Colorado. Yeah, she came from Portugal. I'd met her in New Zealand. What was Nadine, her name? Nadine Francois. That's right. She still travels to New Zealand and just lovely that system. I'm just, I just love that system. I first got exposed to it through um, Sally O'Connor and got to ride with Nuno and got to ride with Nuno in New Zealand in a very special part of my life, just to experience that discipline. Yeah, well, um, he died in 84. So what year did you 80s, get to No, he died in 86 or 7, 80, I think. Okay, but so what year did 80, you ride with him in New Zealand? Yeah, it was 80, um, mid-80s that I did, 85 maybe, or 3. I don't know. I'm not okay, but early that. 80s. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I know that you've worked with a lot of top show jumpers. Yes. Ian Miller and, you know, and watched and been to the shows and just watched them and studied them, you know, and I'll watch and I'll not know what I'm watching. Like to watch Nuno ride a horse. I didn't know what I was watching when I saw that he could get a horse to start to do three tempi changes and two rounds of the ring when I thought it was a beginner's horse before he got on. And I'm like, how did he do that? He didn't do it. He didn't. He didn't. And I understand now how he did it, but I didn't then. Right. Um, <laughs> and then so when did you come to Colorado? Because that's where I met you was in Colorado. I came to Colorado in the early 90s. And I just, I was in California and it was a bit crowded for me. I just, it's just too many people. I loved California, but I'm from New Zealand. We don't have a lot of people. And so I went to Colorado and I just love the mountains. I love the feel. I love the seasons. Um, it was just, I don't know, this feels like, it feels like home. Yeah, because that's where you, know, where you So are. I have a home okay. in New Zealand. I have home here. So I'm sort of lucky. Yep. But, but in, when you got to the West, you got exposed to a lot of the horsemanship. Uh, yes. And I know that you looked into that quite I thoroughly. Right through that. I diligently. Yep. All the horsemanship clinics, all the different ones, Ray Hunt, Buck, the whole thing, and then studied it on the horses and did it diligently and have been the whole circle. And now, now the study of once you, um, in a way, get a horse a bit disabled so that you could ride it, how do you enable it to be powerful and beautiful after you've disabled it so that you can ride it? Uh, it is a very, very interesting subject to go round in your head as a trainer all the time. And that's the thing that I, I want people to appreciate is that you have explored so many different avenues in so many lines of training. Um, the dressage, the show jumping, the horsemanship, um, just teaching. Um, yes. And so, you know, you, you come to this place now, 20 years later from when we met with, uh, um, sort of a, 
almost like a, a life education, like a college education of examining yes. different training philosophies and techniques. Um, and I know that you've been very creative in a lot of what you do. And I know you use the surefoot pads in what you do. Um, but one of the things that's always fascinated me is how you will take us an idea or a subject and you will explore it so thoroughly that you, you go through sort of the crucible and you come out on the other side and then you know exactly the piece that you want to retain yes. and the parts that don't fit. And mm -hmm. so few people have that ability to, to um, objectively and without um, any, uh, intent, any sort of preconceived notion to really explore it and to look and watch the horses and see how the horses respond so that when you make the decision of this is what you're going to keep and this is what you're going to let go, it's because yeah. you've judged it by the value of the horse's mind and body and spirit on the other side. And I think that that is such a unique quality and characteristic. I think that's one of the things that for me, I, I admire in you the most is this ability to, without preconceived judgment, explore it fully and then get the nugget, the kernel, the thing that is most important and then capture that and be able to then shape that into the other ideas and come out with um, just yeah. a really great for the horse, if you will, um, approach to things. Yeah. And I, and I listened to you say that and, and back of my mind goes, yes, I do. And I wish, you know, over <laughs> The lockdown and the pandemic lockdown in New Zealand, I got to have some horses and, and do them and study and just slow down a little bit more. And like me, slow down, do things and tick things off my list about learning that are on the list to learn when I have time yeah. and to give the horses time and to not use my skill as a trainer to get them to do something, but to introduce an idea and see if I can get them to ask me if they, if I would like them to do this idea. That is a, inside as a trainer, that is a, a very interesting space to delve into. And, and I, it brings up sort of the, the crux of what we're going to talk about here with working equitation is how can we make it that the horse's suddenly discover an idea and want to explore that idea and they're so curious about it that they offer it to us yes. instead of us making them do this by rote by behavior modification or whatever but yes. it, it's they suddenly it's their idea to do this thing that we have kind of presented yes as opposed to saying you got to do this mm -hmm. and if i can share a little bit of that today to to anybody I'd be thrilled. <laughs> now we do have a question. I think it's a good question and appropriate place to ask it. Someone's asking, can you explain what you mean by disabling a horse? Um, to, in, they have a thing in the horsemanship of um, uh, disabling the backhand, disengaging the backhand. So you take away the, the pushing power of the horse. You, you cause the hind legs to step sideways. And that means that the hind legs aren't available to push the rest of the horse forward. And so that way between the neck and the hind end, as long as you keep one not lined up with the front end, with the shoulders and the thoracic of the horse, the horse is somewhat crooked and disabled. 
So, yeah, it was sort of a choice of word in a moment there to um, do that. But, but great question. I have videos of obstacles and to show as we get further down of um, engaged and disengaged versions of obstacles and why would you do what when? I think, um, let, let me just bring up this definition, which is my favorite definition, and yeah. it's from Jean St. Fort Payard in his book, Understanding Equitation. And he talks about engagement because the term has become, uh, in modern day, we've used it in a different way than its original intention. And the original intention of engagement in horses is anytime the hind leg moves forward underneath the horse's body, the hind yeah. leg is engaged. Yes. Now we can talk about quality. We can talk about whether it's good engagement, poor engagement, in terms of where that hind foot is landing in relation to the front foot. So then we get into a term called tracking up. When the hind foot lands in the print of the forefoot, we call that tracking up. If it's stepping short, it's under tracking. And if it's stepping past, it's over tracking. The reason this is important is that where that hind leg lands in relation to the torso is gonna determine the type of thrust and upward lift we have to carry the horse into a, what I call a weight bearing posture or a working outline to carry the weight of the rider. Disengagement in the classical sense is anytime the hind leg is moving behind the body. So in the horsemanship world, as I understand it, Maria, maybe you can help me here, that they use the term in relation to a clutch on a car a stick shift, yes. and that when the hind leg was disengaged, it was stepping across so much that you took the drive out of the horse, you took the thrust out of the horse, the forward push. And so the term got shifted in its use to meaning loss of power instead of placement for power. And yeah. um, as you say, with I think disabling is actually a good term because you disable the drive. Mm -hmm. You take the, the forward thrust yeah. out. Sometimes but that's necessary. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying it's not. Um, but it's how much we do that. Yes. And when that becomes a pattern of habitual use, that the horse is always stepping so far across that we take the rear end offline, then we don't create the lifting power that we need to carry the rider effectively, which in working equitation is really going to play a, a big part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you want to add anything, Marie, to that or? No, I think, you know, as we get into it, um, uh, it all, yeah, that just uh, preempts it nicely. <laughs> okay. So um, Marie's got a bunch of stuff to show us on her screen. So we're going to get going there. So I'm going to hit share screen and go to... Sound off. Okay, have I, have I got you there? Yeah, this is awesome. Okay. Was that impressive for a person with tech juju or what? Yes, I, I am really impressed given where we started on this today. <laughs> okay, so, so anyway, I have to go. This is a, just a video, a six-minute video of a, quite a nice Portuguese horse doing in a very upper level working equitation, ease of handling round. 
And so working equitation originally came from Portugal, Spain, that whole Iberian peninsula where they work the bulls on horseback. And so over the, in the weekends, the cowboys would have little competitions and show off how, who had the best cow working horse. So they devised in the late 80s or 90s, they devised a competition where you did a dressage phase, an ease of handling phase, a speed obstacle phase, and then a little bit of cattle working phase to get together and just share their horses before they went back to the ranch during the week and just got to work cows. And so this just kept evolving and it went through Europe and in the 90s it came up into England and England wrote a rule book and they, they encouraged the, the WAWI, the World Association of Working Equitation, encouraged every country to develop their own rules relative to their tradition of the working horses in that country. And so this is a very Portuguese flavor. We have the Lusitano horse and, you know, we just, this is what we watch on YouTube when we, when we see working equitation. And so um, when it got to England and they made a rule book that was in the early 2000s or late, late 90s, I came across that rule book and I read it from cover to cover and I thought, what a great way to teach people training. It's a, it's a format. It's like dressage made sense and you could use it. So I started using it in the early 2000s and I just used it in my clinics. I just fashioned some obstacles and I used it to teach people to ride in a repetitive organization. And, and so then I deal with what came up and then I had a, a lovely ranch here in Colorado where we could do the cattle working part as well. And those were very special times, those clinics. Then around 2010, 11, 12, it took off in the United States and they started making some sets of rules, but because the United States is so big, they had five sets of rules, it's different areas. So every set of rules, depending on who made them, had a different flavor to them. Some of them were made by dressage people. Some were made by people who are into classical dressage. Some were made by cow working people. Some were made by Lusitano breeders that wanted to develop the sport to sell their horses to Europe. And, and so everyone had a different flavor. And then as it kept growing, then it seemed necessary to bring all the rules together. And so then that became political um, and, and so on and so forth. But we're, we're at the year 2020 and we're about to mold the last two sets of rules into one set of rules and have that for the United States, which is quite exciting. Wow, that's impressive. And Canada has gotten some, based its rules off, United States and then Australia has done it because it's a big country it's had to go through the three or four sets of rules type idea before they've molded it into maybe one now I'm not absolutely sure and then New Zealand it 
has been using the Australian rules because we really like that. And because we're at the bottom of the world, we can wait to develop our rules to see which ones we like best. And then we can base them off that. And so that's sort of what's happening. But I really like the Australian rules because as the, um, the sport is developing, it's becoming a little bit about this sort of picture, but a lot about the lower levels and the people that are amateur riders and are just learning and just want to do right by their horses. And so that, that part is really special. And that's the part that floats my boat that I want to um, take and, and run with that and have, because there was no lower level stuff in, in Europe, we've had to build the lower level stuff and the rules and the patterns into into the rules as we have developed them in the other countries. I talk and multitask. So, so this video is from England. And so it has an English flavor, much more open course, it's cantering, lovely horse. And we can see the flavor, like it was great, that little conversation before we started about the straightness, about the engagement in this, of the hind legs under the front legs and carrying the horse. And so these two horses, as you watch, it's, it's not often that you see a lack of engagement. It stays pretty straight. Like even here, as we go through the gate, the hind end, didn't step out to the left there. It stayed pretty much there, even though he had to put a foot out to balance himself. It was really interesting. And so how to teach when the people watch this and they go, oh, that looks so easy. And yes, good training is really easy. It is really fluent. It is really fun when you get to the sweet spot. And that is just a blast. But all these qualities that you see here in canter, one-handed, you know, notice that it is one-handed. That's a huge degree of difficulty. And um, she's in a snaffle bit here, isn't she? No, I think she's in a curb with a single rein. That okay. is, they, they can do that too. Uh, it's a higher degree of difficulty still than a, than a double bridle because the ability of the horse to get a bit contracted or over and just a... A curb is really um, tricky there. So anyway, so if we watch this and we go, oh, yeah, and then we're going to go out and get on our horse and, and we go, can you look like that? And he goes, what? You know, <laughs> where do we start? You know, so, so I have the, these little set of videos here that I'm going to play. And then I have a whole set of videos that I made last year on a horse that could be anybody's horse. He's just a rescue horse that I got. And he's had some pretty good damage in his body. So he's not so, so sound. He's had some real trauma about being ridden in an arena and that. And so I've made all these videos, not to, not to have them perfect, but to have them less than perfect and explain. 
So we have a lot of that to, to go through. And after we watch a little bit of this. Well, and it is interesting to see the, the it's so obviously you like the bigger open arena, the yes. plainer obstacles, which is totally fine because it's, yeah. it's not how fancy the obstacle is, right? Yeah. And the obstacles are the same. And so this horse, if he looks so perfect, he has a problem backing up. So watch this. She needs to back around that pole, the slump, slanting pole. And he goes, I don't, I don't get that. She has to leg yield over and he'll go back that way. But he has, there's a problem there. And I'm like, wow, you can get to that level and do all those things so well. And I'm like, that's, there's a pretty major little part missing there, eh? Yeah. And there's another backup obstacle coming up and, and he gets a bit worried. We'll see that in a moment. And so, so then perfect fluid this is going, yeah. you know, and going forward, this horse is really yeah. fluid and um, that that's a big surprise, but isn't yeah. that the point of the obstacles is to, to find the strengths and weakness of a horse yeah. experience. Mm -hmm. And then, and then to be, you have judgment through the levels, how difficult you can make the obstacles for the horse. So you can, the ones he does well, you can show off more. And so here's a backup. So we watch this and, and he's like, here, something on the right side there. Oh. Yeah, he's like, yeah. And very worried. <laughs> And so I'm like, you know, I look at that and I'm like, oh, which, which foot would you put the short foot pad under, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, it's, it's so telling, like this horse looks really calm and very focused and they're working really nicely in partnership. And then you see that really yeah. interesting um, yeah. pull, if you will, in the training that something yeah. isn't. And there, there is tension. So you watch this part here where obviously people are clapping or something like that or something different happens here. And we know that feeling, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then I have another lovely, oh, oh, hit the wrong thing. Oh. Okay. Back comes like reason. Go here, go here, go here. Okay. I've even practiced getting out of when I cause myself problems. Oh, awesome. Okay. So, I go <laughs> so this, I just love this video because now we're going down a couple of levels to something between where most people are and getting to there. And this, I can't um, blow this up huge. It'll be just on the, how do I do this? Yeah. Okay. This is as big as I can get this one, but you'll get the flavor. And this is Las Vegas and um, lovely, lovely horse. So not, not a fancy Andalusian Lusitano breed, but the, the straightness and the relaxation and the willingness this, this could be, you know, a morning meditation, this one. 
and just like how happy is he to just work out everything that she wants and just be so okay. So Marie, what are the rules in terms of relaxation and calmness since I'm not familiar with them? I, I don't know that there are rules because in the, the Wawi rules and where it came from Europe, um, the horses had to be functional and the riders were good enough to deal with degrees of tension. And the Iberian horses carry degrees of tension. That's what makes them so available. And so then when you get the different breeds and some breeds, if they carry too much tension, there's really something going on. And so, so working equitation is available to all breeds and that, and it's, I feel it's to show off the qualities of your training and on the breed of horse that you have. And so it's up to the judges to say, oh, okay, this is a warm blood or part cold blood horse. He is so willing. He is light to the aids. He is organized. And listening, look at those ears. <laughs> And, um, you know, and he is right there. And you know that when they go do this, they have not practiced this course. They have not been in this arena. They come in cold turkey. Um, so that's, um, you know, it's impressive. And it speaks and one of the main things about working equitation is you go and you practice at home and you do all the stuff. And then you go to a competition and the, without fail, the one thing that you get to realize is, oh my God, there is a lot more to this than I thought. Getting the whole picture together. And so you have to have the help of your horse. You cannot do this without the horse being understanding and willing. Right. And that's why I love it as a sport. That's why I love, it keeps dragging me back to it where I could easily just go off and study something else and go do you know, whatever, but I just keep going, oh my God, it empowers so many people. It does so much good for horses. It gives them something to do that they understand. Um, it's great. And if you, if you never ran a competition, if you just got together and had groups of people that, that used the obstacles and rode their horses and shared and then had a cup of coffee and went home. And, and that happens a lot. It happens a lot in New Zealand. And I'm like, it's so cute about that. <laughs> you gotta have that cup of tea if you don't have the cup of tea you haven't like really yeah, been <laughs> exactly and um and so this is just a, this horse is a, a a different feel from the others but this video was taken two years ago and it wouldn't take much with a horse this relaxed and this available to just keep developing it a little bit more uphill it would just slowly keep getting more beautiful as long as he stayed sound and straight and happy and all those good things. Right. And so... Um, How many obstacles are there in a typical course? There are 15, basically, give or take a couple, 15 obstacles. And there's... Some of them are the same, like this is double slalom. 
and it is the same for every level. And so working equitation, there's seven or eight levels, depending on what country you're in. It goes from lead line all the way up to master's level. Wow. And so the lead line level is very fun for, I, I think it's a great thing to develop for unstarted horses that you're just getting out and about and want to go do something with them when they're three and, and it's just great. And um, kids, you know, you take them on the lead line, they've got a job, they've got a destination. You can't let them go because the little bratty pony is not going to stay with the kid, you know. So <laughs> hook it up to the lead and the kid's going to know where they're going to go and they can ring the bell and they can do all that. Oh, it's great. Yeah, there's that backing up again, huh? The horse had a little trouble. Yeah, so the straightness of the backing up and the the separation of the front end and the back end through the middle and and stuff like that. But, you know, and then he made the mistake, but you could see how bad he felt about the mistake. He's like, oh, I made a mistake, Mum. And then he got over it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was such, so great. So, so one of the things that comes to mind to me is that this horse is very resilient. He's able to, like yeah. you said, make a mistake and recover from it. Look at how he's just come right back. No big yeah. deal. He's able to go into an environment that he's never been in. See right. obstacles he's never seen, have an audience. It's quite a big arena and he can just evaluate, take it in stride. And I think that yeah. this is like what we're talking about when we talk about resiliency in some of the other webinars. Yeah. And, and you can't, that, is built in. You, horses are basically resilient until you take it out and you can build it in more. Um, and then when you um, take it out, then, then you have to rehab and that takes longer. And so by take it out, what, how, what do you mean by take it out? Take it out by overexposing like not having any preparation, taking like the horse to the environment of the first video and have him go from a quiet environment and you go, oh, you're going to come do all your tricks here. And he walks in there and he goes, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this before. And so then you're the adrenaline and you know, the horse has nothing to operate with because he's been trained in a relaxed environment. He has not been trained when he's tense. And so then all your training leaves. Wow. So to have a path from if he gets tense to be able to rewind it back to a, a quiet place and have tools set up before you cause that. If it gets too bad, don't um, make it worse by trying to keep going and just effectively doing disaster management up to a degree. And, you know. So in other words, you, you have to take horses just like people. You know, I, I keep thinking of this chart that I always draw that looks like the stock market in that we have to go a little above the line of anxiety, but not too far and come back and realize we can recover so that we can do that again and we that builds resiliency that we can be in an environment we're not used to or is unfamiliar but we can recover because we've had the experience versus you know you think about the kid around here you know the kid that's been raised in a house and he's, the house is so big they have to put a gps on the kid and he's never yeah. been around an animal and they take him to a petting zoo and he gets e coli because he's yeah. never been exposed to it and that's yeah. 
It's mm -hmm. that we need those experiences to develop that resiliency, but in in ways that we are learning from them, not overstressed by them. Yeah, and, and amounts and that the character of a horse, like to study the character, some horses have more resilient characters than others. Right. And so to know that and to um, ha have that, it's a lifetime study. Right, but it's so true of us too. I mean, this, the thing is we can relate it back to our own. Some people with the pandemic don't have any experience of anything like this and are really stressed out by it, where other people who have had life-threatening issues can recognize, okay, this is just another life-threatening issue that I know I have the skills to work through. I, I just do it, I just, and you know, it's a state of mind. Yep. So I'm gonna hit on, we're gonna keep yeah, talking. I'm going to play the, since the engagement and disengagement came up, I'm going to play that video first. So, um, training video. So this is you. Yeah, let me mute it. And, um, so this is the gate. This should be the gate obstacle. We get around there. Move that thing. And so this is the horse you told us about that was a rescue horse. Yeah, and he came to me. He was really, really um, worried. I couldn't get him in an arena. God, I got that to move before. Um, I couldn't get him in an arena. Did I just pause that? Yeah. And, and he'd just get really just go to run for the gate. And so the first time I took him to a working equitation show, I just took him in the ring and fed him a cookie and rode up to the judge and fed him a cookie. It was an indoor ring and, and that, and I just fed him a cookie and then, you know, and he survived that show. And then I came back to the second show. And so this is a version of the gate. I just go up and I halt and he stands square and he's okay beside the obstacle and everything's good. And I'm going to back up and he's been raced backwards in his previous training. So you see him think the worst to start with, plant his hind legs on the ground, shake his head and say, I can't do that. And then I'm just gonna walk around the other side and I'm going to back up again. So I don't go through the gate in my training initially, just to change from straight to back straight, to halt to forwards. And I do that because the reins can stay in both hands and I can get him. And, and you see his discomfort at, even though I go really slow about picking his hind, hind feet up. And then I give him a big break and I walk around again. Well, and so, it was really interesting because as soon as he walked away, he licked and chewed. Yeah. Uh, the second show I took him to, I went in the arena and they get, they get about a minute to warm up in the arena before you have to leave the arena to come back in down center line. And I went in, fed him his cookie, rode around. And then I went to leave and he went, no, I don't want to leave. Yeah. Oh my God, I burst into tears. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. And he's like, I'm okay in here. And I'm like, oh God, it was such a moving moment. And then from then on, he just got better and better and, and so now we come in, this is an engagement version. So I walk through the corner. I don't disengage the hindquarters to get to the halt. I walk up to the halt. I have to wait for him to 
go, oh, I'm going to have, I'm going to back up. I'm going to have my head pulled back and then I'm going to be slammed back over my hind end. So I have to wait for him to put his nose out before I can start to go back. And I just give him time. And I give him time and he gets okay. And I go back and I go forward. Now I keep the hind end coming forward, 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 forward to the halt. There's no disengagement there. There's no sideways movement. Then I organize him and I come back and he goes, I'm going to put my hind end out to the left. And I go, no, I think you can go straight. And we have a little talk about it. And he does. But I keep it so slow and so gentle. And I'm so knowing of his patterns that I, that I gently talk him out of it. And he goes, oh, God, that was so hard. That was so hard, mum. And, and then we leave. And so that's an in what I call an engaged gait. So you'll see him be quite like, oh, I had to engage. And you saw the emotions that it, yeah. he went through to do that. So I give him a break. And now I'm going to come back around and show a couple of, for 37, two versions of disengaged gait, where I come in and I disengage the hindquarters to get to where I want in the different places. And because he's been, he was started in, in that system and he's had his hind end disengaged a lot, it's pretty comfortable. Plus, as soundness wise, it's easy for him to disengage than engage because of the soundness stuff. So I come to there and I just step the hind legs across. He doesn't have to step up to the hold, he steps across to the hold. Pick up the rope. I go back, but as I go back, I disengage the hind legs out to the side. That lines me up to go through the gate. Then I step through here. I don't step him up to the halt. I disengage him to the halt. Now, this is a tricky part because then I have to go back and not go away from the gate. And that's where a lot of people have problems right there because the horses step back up and step away from the gate because... Last time you backed up, you stepped the hindquarters away. On the other side, why, why can't I step the hindquarters away on this side? And so the horses do that all the time and the people struggle and then the horses go, I don't understand, they get worried in that place. What's also interesting is you did not get a yawning or a lick and chew when you left the gate this, doing it this way. Then no, you didn't... but I didn't stress him a lot either, but I, I didn't engage him. So I didn't stress him. Right. So he was more okay. So we have a couple questions. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so we just answered one person's question. Great. Um, and then I says, you know, when, when the horse gets worried at the gate and steps away, how can I help him be more okay? And I think that's yeah. exactly what and This is about. exactly what we're working on now. So here... You know, if I was a bit quicker, he halted and then had to step up. So two halts isn't great. And now I let him disengage and come through. It's just easier, isn't it? But as we watch, we go back and we're going to watch the, the fancy videos again. In the fancy videos, in the speed section and, and, and in the ease of handling, they don't do anything disengaging. So, so in other words, you can use the disengagement, stepping the hind leg across so that you're turning the hind quarters around. That's right. But you're losing the power that you're going to want from those hind quarters if yeah. they were 
engaged in the classical sense. Yeah, if you're going to move up the levels. Right. And so then I go around now this last one, and Neil, this last one's interesting because I come around and I do an engaged version again. And now he's done, this is, you know, this is 10 minutes and 24 seconds of Smokey's life. And I'm like, it's amazing what you can get done in 10 minutes and 24 seconds and, and pull it apart. And so now I come in and is he better this time? A, because he's done the gate um, three times already and lived to tell the story, which is important in Smokey's mind, or because he got to do it with less stress, disengaging, is he more okay about engaging now? So I step him up to the halt, I take the rope, and now I make sure he goes back straight. And that. The thought is so better, different. He? Yeah, and so he's better. Now forward, now forward. Whoops, he almost stepped out that step. Don't let him step out. Ideally, one more step, maybe. And then back without dissing. He says, can I, it's easier, mum, if I go over there. And I go, no, it isn't. You know, can you go here? So I had to make a correction. But he was more okay. So, you know, was it because I did the disengaging version or because he'd done it four times and then I engaged him more? Good question, isn't it? Or, yeah. Yeah, it brings up so many questions because basically <laughs> what you've now done is you've given both of you two choices. In mm. other words, instead of saying I have to do it one way or the other, you said, let's see if we can do it either way, which is actually enriching the whole learning experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make one wrong or right. It just makes it different. So um, that's my gate one let's go on since uh more stuff let's and, go and do, I think this do is, another one are there any more questions which obstacle will i go to next um, we we don't have just yet but you know i in certain worlds you're told never let the horse do x or never let the horse do y because if you do that you're going to ruin something else and where that is often seen is with um, gated, soft gated horses, you know, never let the horse trot because you'll ruin the gate or never let it canter. But, but in actual fact, by teaching trot and canter to a gated horse, you actually improve the gates because you make the, the, you improve the choices, the horse has options, and the quality and the um, ways in which you can request things. So, so I think this is a, just a, in another world, a beautiful example of as opposed to it's gotta be one way is teach your horse different options because you might need that option someday anyway. Yeah. yeah. Don't go back to, I've just got myself out of somewhere I shouldn't have gotten out of. You unshared your screen, but that's fine. So I'm gonna go to, um, since we watched that back up on that uh, oh, yeah. gray horse, we'll go to the bell obstacle. Um, yeah, sounds off. Full screen. Okay. So we do have a question here. Someone's asking, 
So this was 10 minutes, but how long did the complete session take and how many challenges in one training session? Excellent question. That, that's all we did. Um, let me pause this for a moment while I talk. These things were done, we call them shirt days. Every day there's a different colored shirt is a different day. And so we did these videos and I would just warm him up. I'd walk around and we would not, I would not do any practice. I would start doing the video and I have, we have a Pixio video and we would just turn it on and I would do one or two obstacles a day. And then um, we would, I would have to think about it, not because he was out of gas or anything, but because I had planned in my mind what I was going to do and just one or two or three obstacles a day was enough for me to organize. And then I would go home and voice over and all these have voiceovers on them um, and do that and just do that. So it's not all one day. And that, that gate thing that you just watched, that was the whole gate thing. We didn't practice anything. That was just as it turned up. That was my plan to show that. And, um, so it was great exercise to do, and it's, you know. In other words, you can take 10 minutes on an obstacle yeah. that the horse has never seen, make it super in quality by yeah. keeping it slow and taking your time, and you're gonna get far further down the track than if you did it 100 times in one yeah. day, or yes. you know, even five minutes more. It's not the amount of time. The amount of attention. Thank you. Detail. And so I have another video here of gait that I would do, a pattern that I would do on the gait if a horse had never seen the gait before. If we get to that, we get to that, but probably not. We'll go through some other ones. And so, so bell obstacle. So Smokey, to get him comfortable in the arena, I did a pattern in the beginning of every time he got a break, I would stand next to something. And so he got so comfortable about standing next to things that then he'd cozy up too much. So when I start to ride the obstacles, he's just like, oh, I've got to get a bit closer. Oh, I'll, get, I'll be even better if I get a bit closer. And so we see that here and this and this straight on and that he's so willing, but he's willing through worry a little bit. And, that, and you get to see what happens in the sequence. So to start with, I walk in and I halt and I see if he'd halt beside the bell. And if everything's okay, I wouldn't ring the bell. I wouldn't back up. And in the lower levels, in the Australian rules, we just halt, ring the bell and leave. We don't, we don't back up in those levels. And I think it's a great idea to not add the backup in the beginning. So, um, I just, here, yeah, he's got to be immobile. Immobility, not trapped, is so important. Please explain trapped. Not trapped, not held immobile. I'm doing nothing to keep him immobile other than not asking him to go anywhere. And so we get to see this. It's important in sight. It's important in everything in life, you know? <laughs> He can put a horse, it can be still. It is so basic. And so here he comes straight. And then right here, you see him go to the obstacle. He just drifts over. 
And so a lot of the stuff you feel when you're on top, but it's so subtle when you watch on the video. And, that, and so, you know, and he took a little correction and I'm like, my goal is to ride in there, have them absolutely straight, not have to correct anything. That, that's the, the sort of avatar. You watch the movie Avatar, you just plug into the horse and your thoughts are theirs. And that feeling of everything is right there. What do I have to correct? And I'm skillful at disaster management. That's what makes you a good trainer. But is that, you know, if I didn't have, that was better. That was different, wasn't it? But it's yep. just subtle. He didn't drift over. He took the correction. I got the right amount of correction. And he's square. Yeah. And I ring the bell. I start to gather him to put him forward to back him up because backup's a forward movement. And he moves his feet forward. And so I have to forgive that at the moment because I'm working on trying to get his his balance a little bit more uphill. So I'm going to forgive that mistake of stepping forward while I put him forward so that I can get him up to step his feet up. And because I'm working on straightness in the back up, and that looked pretty straight, but on top there was a lot of almost here, or no, I'm going out there. No, I'm going out there. It didn't feel as straight as it looked. And so it's interesting when you watch the videos compared to the ride, you know, when it's good, it doesn't look as good. When it's bad, it doesn't look as bad. You know, that's the thing about videos. Yeah. And so now I come around every time I repeat this, I don't get around to the beginning as fast as possible. I walk around, I give them a break, I gather them up. I do the whole process all over again. He comes down the middle much better. I gather him up to the halt. Can he stand and stay there? He rings the bell. He doesn't anticipate. He takes that correction. Now can I gather him to step him back? No, he goes to go behind. Yeah, no, he goes to go forward. Can you hold yourself up? Can you, you know, the back end went out the side and then the back might go the other way. If he tests one way, he'll go the other way and then he'll do all that. But they're just minor corrections, aren't they? And to get it at this place where the, everything's so calm and so slow that the corrections are there, but they're almost invisible. And that's when, you know, people are learning and they watch and it's not as perfect as it looks. <laughs> but this a is such a great of example of if we reduce the effort, if we mm -hmm. slow it down and just take away the distractions and the noise and the hurry, then what we have to do is so much less to make it clear to the horse what we're doing. Yes, and the timing of that stuff. Um, so here I just put in a little trot and then I'll walk. Can I balance the walk and keep it straight? Can I bring it up? Ooh, and then he gets his huggy thing. He's gonna go hug the bell. No, don't hug the bell, you know, but he took the correction. And that, and so now can I pick him up through his ribs? Yeah, yeah, not bad. Oh, no, left hind. That might be a bit right hind. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple of decent uh, to the left, but there was a, a straighter part in there, wasn't there? Yep. And that, and so, you know, in this video's 
seven minutes and 55 seconds. We didn't practice this at all. This is just a little training session using the bell. So, so if you were to I'm get going more, to... more worried, Marie, I mean, we can see that you're doing a great job of kind of keeping yeah. everything together. But so what here, is the So here I trot in. I'm going to trot in and halt. Trot in and halt. He didn't hug the bell. He stepped right up. He's right there. And good. I'm like, just wait. Balance and can I just from that place of engagement, if I let the reins go, he doesn't leave. Can he be really okay? Because to trot in and to push him up together to halt, that was a higher degree of difficulty. And then can I go, oh, look what happens after you do that. And that would be it. So, so making it into smaller bits, but I think one of the things that I'm watching that you do is you you don't, you, you wait for the horse to find the ease in the place that he's standing. Yeah. In other words, you're not, you're not asking him something while he's still worried because you That's know what right. I watch is that you stop and you wait whether that's that you wait like there you to just give him the reins and we can see, oh, we get this great relaxation. But it's, it's not asking at the moment where they're still worried because then you're going to get a worried response. And then here, can I gather the reins up? And he doesn't get worried. Can I gather him without him moving his feet, going behind the vertical, Bracing, can I do all of that at the standstill? That's tricky, very tricky. Then can I start to move the feet? Now, because I've gone for a greater degree of relaxation, look at the quality here, yeah. totally different. Totally different. The diagonalization is better, the straightness is better. Way better. So, um, and it's cool. It's well, it's really interesting. And the thing that just came to my mind is you're actually uh, Sharon Wilsey in her horse speak talks about safety cones and she'll have a safety cone and she'll take the horse over to the safety cone. It's basically a cone, like a street cone. And she stays there until the horse lets down. Yes. So till she gets lick and chew and yawn and relax. And you're making every one of the obstacles a safety yeah. cone. Yes. By, and essentially, it's waiting there for the horse to become relaxed, even if that would that could take 10. I've seen it where it's taken 10 minutes. Yeah. But you wait for the horse to come back to what Sharon Wilsey calls zero or homeostasis or allostasis is another word we're talking about now. But that place where you're inner calm so that the object isn't anxiety producing. And yeah. um, I will say that that takes patience because... Yeah. Uh, but it took seven minutes and 55 seconds. I mean, how, what is patience? If patience yeah, patience is the ability not to act. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, side pass. Side pass, we see this one. Um, so is this your YouTube channel? It's... I did it with self seeds with Susan Eoff and that. And so we put this together just to have a, a resource 
So people could go and find these yes, videos. they're all up on YouTube under Self Seeds. These videos are all there with voiceover. Self Seeds on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And so now we talk our way through, horses get really worried side pass. Okay, they're worried about having the pole between their legs. They're worried about going sideways. So we get to see Smokey here who has some stuff going on in his body. It is hard for him to organize left bend and to go left off right leg. So you see, I halted and I asked with right leg only. And for the first two steps, he stepped forward. And then I just did enough of a degree that then he'd start to step to the left. But it's not his most comfortable thing to do, to step left off right leg. And so you know, you're like, okay, every horse has a hard side. And so now we go the other direction, go right off left leg. He says, oh, boogie, I can boogie that all day. Yeah, wow. Oh, right there, stays really upright, steps across, really peaceful. I can stay upright. Everything's sweet. Okay, and so then I come around again. I'm going to, I think this time I step just over the pole. So he starts with the pole between his front and his hind legs. I slow the walk right down. So I have control over the steps and he's peaceful. Start from that place and I say, I use my right leg and he says, I have to step forwards. And that, and so he steps forwards off right leg first. That's not instance to step left off right leg. So I keep on going and I get to the place where he steps left. And if I trap him too much with my hands, he's going to step back. And you saw that he's just stepped back. There's, he's looking for every option forward or back other than left because he's not that comfortable with that yet. And I'm like, I'm watching these. I've watched them all in the last 24 hours and going. And what I've learned with the Surefoot pads in New Zealand, I'm like, Oh, I could put them on diagonal stacks. On any <laughs> yeah, that's right. I can see so many places. My stack. Could use the pads. So I come up again and I walk up gently and I hold over the pole and I say, okay, I'm going to use right leg, but I stop him from moving forward. But he, he, he leans left and then he goes left. So he does sort of a leg yield. And then I say, no, can you organize it different? He says, oh, well, I'll get, I'll switch my tail. I'll get a little tense. And, and, and you know, no, I'm not there yet, mum. I'm not there yet, mum. I'll just try a little more. It's all right. I'll back off a bit. And, and so I'm like, oh, okay. Well, it's information. And I'm like, I couldn't, I wouldn't worry him any more than that. If I was going to worry him anymore, I would need to help him more. And so as we go through the video here, I mean, I have the skill and the ability to help him more, but I want him to help himself, but I want him to be comfortable enough to help himself. And so now off the other leg, he goes to go back, but he's correctable. And it's not where he's straight or bent in the direction of going, but it's not bad. It's basically leg yield, side pass, but he is shoulders four. Shoulders are getting there first. The hind end is 
is a, on the angle. And so it's a good place to start. And so now we go around again and I decide, you know, what am I going to do next? I just give them a break and I walk around and I wouldn't normally practice a lot of side pass. It's not a good idea to practice side pass. I actually tell my people that you put a pole between the paddock and where you tack up and you walk, out, walk the horse over at once in hand and then you do it once on the way to the mounting block and then you might do it once while you ride and then you might do it before you untack and then, and then that we've gotten horses really comfortable then. And so there I can walk in and if I set him going, I can use my ability to keep everything slow and not ask him too much front or behind to get him to travel across the pole there. So we've we've got a great question I want to put in here. Is, yeah. so, so someone's saying going to the left, he's expressing his tension by working his mouth. Do you yeah. ignore this as you help him find a place of comfort, letting it resolve itself? Um, yes. And I think, you know, down the road with the body work and what I've learned since I did these videos, which <laughs> last year, I'm like, oh, he needs some cranial work. The cranial and the, all that stuff. And what I know now, I go, oh, yeah. He needs. Well, and also that fits with his crookedness, right? Yes. And his past. Yeah. And so I was listening to Tammy's thing two days ago. And I'm like, oh, I just found a person in New Zealand that does all that. And Tammy explained it so beautifully. Yeah. It was such a lovely, a lovely thing. And so now I've gone. So he's done two quite nice passes over the pole. I've helped him a little bit and he understands. And now I just step him over the pole and then just drop the reins. And so to stand over the pole and not have any expectation that he has to go anywhere. So important. Look at that deep breath that he just took and yeah. his whole top line softened. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's so wonderful to see this because we keep talking about how important the rest is. And yeah. if, you know, if we don't give the nervous system the rest, it can't process the information. And that was just lovely there. Mm -hmm. So, now, where else do we go? Rid of that one. The one I'm just trying to think as we, you know, time-wise we go. Bridge is an interesting one to discuss. Yeah. Um, because of all the aspects of that that get, I think, not realized what the horses are going through to step across a bridge. And so I just, here, here we are in six minutes and 32 seconds of his life. And I'm going to rewind that because I'm not, I'm late on the talking. Okay, so this is, we've not crossed the bridge yet today. And so the, the aspect of bridge is to be able to, in their mind and bodies, organize stepping from one surface to another and stepping from one level to another, up and then down. So I walk in here, and I have a judged walk. He does a big step. He does a trip step. And so then he does over this bridge a long before, step obviously, right? Marie, Sorry? He's been over this bridge before. This is not the first. It's not a deal about the bridge. It's about 
what are we creating in the horse's body for the bridge that when a horse does a bridge and then gets worried, what, what is he feeling in his body? What's difficult in his body for him to do a bridge? Is it the step up? Is it the straightness? Is it the sense of something different under his feet? And so we know from the surefoot pads that they sense stuff, don't they? Absolutely. So now he comes around. I slow him a little bit more to see if I can get bridge walk, a walk that he might be able to maintain. But he listens to me so innocently, he forgets to make a judgment call about either stepping before the bridge or on the bridge. And he makes a little mistake because he's from a world where he's actually had quite a bit of learned helplessness. And so then I'm like, oh, I took away his ability to think, but I was trying to teach him how to organize himself, but keep going, step, step. And so I'm using my skill to help him, but in the end, I want him to help himself. And so where's that fine line in any horse's brain? To and you can see when get, it came off that right that left hind was really uncertain about what it was doing. Yeah, yeah. And so here we just did the same ride. I just steady him and I leave him alone. What decisions you make? A little different sense. Yeah, the going the downhill side. He's not a great lover when we're on the trails of going downhill because of some damage in his behind his scapula. And that wow. so he's not he's a bit phobic about going down hills and he's gotten the last year really good and um so saddle fit is tricky and all that stuff and so and so we see it here where deliberate deliberate yeah more deliberate eh yep and so you know how many passes over the bridge and everyone is so different i mean it all looks the same to on a level but it's so different and, and what which shoulder did he have the um the damage the left yeah mm -hmm. and so i just put in a little trot back to bridge walk does that change the energy can he organize it it's funny because you see it's the right right front where he he doesn't swing through the same and that's the one he's tripped on in the beginning yeah and that's the one that he has trouble when i change in the slaloms and i'm changing from right direction to left he wants to drop it out he want, he can't get it organized and so as we watch all the slalom videos we see that too where he doesn't he can't find an engaged place as easy Yeah, yeah, good decision there. Not yeah. To run right into the bridge. Yeah, a bit more fluent there. Yeah. Caught himself better. And these moments where you're away from the bridge, again, that's that part of that just letting the brain process for a minute, giving it a break, not asking. And immediately the same stay straight and so right there i'm asking him to come from trot to a more uphill shorter walk and he goes oh i don't know about that mum that was a bit different yeah 
I was a little bit worried there. I didn't allow him to come out of trot to a longer walk. I asked a little bit more engagement right from the trot, right from trot to bridge walk. And so we see the little bit of worry coming in. And so here from trot, keep him a little uphill to a shorter, slower walk. He says, I, I think I'm a bit better now. Done it once, I live to tell the story. I'm all right. Yeah. And he caught himself, rather than let himself fall forward and go long, he caught himself on the landing side of the bridge. But he's got to be physically comfortable enough to do that. So it's interesting, you know, you know, is the damage still there or is the movement pattern there from the damage that was there? It's levels, isn't it? It's levels. Absolutely. A little bit more forward this time, but not too long a step. But his whole body shape is different there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, yeah, you bring up that really great question of, you know, is it the habit from the injury or is the injury still causing the habit? And um, that, but that's where Surefoot can be so helpful in sorting Absolutely. that out. Yeah, you'd just take a pause, put them on the cushion, then you'd go again. Yep. You know, you'd take one more minute out of your, what's this one? Six minutes and 32 seconds. You'd make it seven minutes. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I love the, the fact that you have these short clips because you yeah. see so many people that drill and drill and drill. And I, I've talked about the difference between skills and drills. This is skills. This is yeah. teaching the horse how to do a task and yeah. how to organize itself versus just going over and over and over and over and over and not making an improvement because that you can't when you drill it. It's just, yeah. just and, and, and that was a lot. That was a lot. And he was very pleased with himself there, though. Was, you know, it was great there. Okay, what else have we got? What are we, how are we doing on time? We could go on all, I could go on all day. <laughs> um, well, let's do one more, shall we? I mean, we're, we're over the hour, but let's um, just do one more. So, probably double slalom. Oh, great. That sounds that good. Be, we'll do that one. Um, now you've got the hang of the technology. I can see oh, you're styling. <laughs> everybody, everybody who knows me will be really impressed. <laughs> like, just, just my thing to impress people. Um, okay, double slalom. So here we go at walk. And I am a double slalom addict. And double slalom is the great obstacle because you get to separate changing the bend and balanced position in the horse's body before you change direction. So right here, we're going to go straight across here and I'm going to get him to prepare through his body for right direction just. And then I'm going to go in right direction. It is so subtle. It's just a feeling of not the other way, you feel the organization of the head, every vertebrae, the weight on the shoulders, as you're stepping straight, gets ready then to receive the amount of new direction that then a separate aid is going to say, go there. And that's a, a aid through your seat and your body. So what's really wonderful to watch here is that you keep this horse stepping forward, engaging the hind yeah. legs 
through the change of bend, not disengaging, yeah. which would lose That's your forward right. power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you just keep on doing it and you feel the, the ability of the horse to relate to the two sides of the bit. And, you know, and he has some neck stuff and he has, you know, the shoulder injury and he has a right hind thing and he has all that stuff and he has to slowly put it together. And what's the level to put it together for him that it is um, physical therapy, but it's not causing discomfort. And so we as humans can go to physical therapy and suffer the discomfort knowing that we're going to be better on the other side. The horses don't know that. That's right. You know, they're flight animals. They're like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Well, and one of the things that I really, really love here is that this is double slalom, but you're taking it at the size that you have the time that's right. let him sort out how to change the bend. Yeah, because in the end, when we go back and watch those videos that we watched in the beginning, they are taking the time to keep the organization so that when they go across the middle, the lead change is perfect. Yeah. The lead change has to be set up. So here, I have to set him up through straight, have him forward up in his body. His favorite way is to change from left to Right, um, favorite way. Yeah, and he's not bad in in this. This is uh, later in our series, so plaid shirt day. No, this you is, have to explain the shirts again afterwards. The shirts are different days, are different colored shirts. Okay, so, so I've gone through my whole wardrobe to get to the plaid shirt day. <laughs> Okay, that's what I wanted to know, is how many days is plaid shirt? Yeah, it was probably 10. Okay. All the different obstacles and, um, yeah, all the different colors. You wash them and then you have to put them in order in the closet so that you're making sure, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But again, it's the the cones are simply there as sort of a, a guideline. Yeah as to where you need to start making uh, a request to make a change of body. Yeah. And it's for the judging aspect of it. You can do this without the cones, but for the judge, the judge has to know that you're trying to get something done with an expectation and they know how well you can do it relative to how geometrical your pattern is. So that's dressage, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely. Um, somebody's calling you a clothes horse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but again, it's the, you know, we so so often we get so focused on, I have to have to make it tight and fast. Yeah. And we forget about the slow work. Yeah, and actually- so this is a little bit tighter. I yeah. have asked him a little bit more. He's a little bit more together. And as I bring him together and I raise the base of the neck a tiny bit and I raise the neck a little, I often lose fluidity, but he's doing good this day. He likes plaid shirts and he stayed going and he hasn't gotten too um, choppy, you know, because some days he's a bit like, oh, you know, I can't, can't, you know, my my legs coming out the same pant hole today. He doesn't keep moving. I know that feeling. But he's, but he's getting better. The straightness is better. I don't see too much. 
when I go here that he drops his right shoulder out and I have to protect him too much, a little tiny bit there. And he's like, well, yes, tail swishes. Don't tell me, mum, that I'm doing that. You know, but it's so subtle there. Right. And learning does, you know, learning is a confrontation of what we don't know. And so yeah, it is, oh my versus, God. you know, that how do they express the, oh, I don't know. They, you know, yeah. you see that in the, in the anxiety or the chewing, but it doesn't mean we stop there. It's that we have to quietly show them yeah. the better answer so that they don't need that expression. Yeah. And that, that's a judgment call, isn't it? Yeah, but look at the, oh, that's too bad you cut it off there. The smiley face at the end. Yeah, right. Somebody's saying this is fascinating and so important. What a wonderful difference that can make for both horse and rider. And yeah, I mean, when we, when we start to think about how we learn and we, we want that same chance, we want people to give us a piece of information we can process, yes. understand. Yeah. Um, and yeah, somehow we've decided that horses don't, process like that somewhere back there um, that we just have to have to like demand it of them but when we get them engaging like this this horse is and we've even seen it through your series of videos that he's gone yeah. from being less willing to being more willing in yes as we progress to plaid shirts yeah um, <laughs> so someone's saying as a training path you're working towards making your circle smaller at what level does the judge expect to see the tighter circles in the in the DS, in the... Uh... So that is um, debatable in that it is every judge's personal um, preference whether they reward the size, the geometry, over the ability of the horse to do it mechanically well through his body. So this is where it becomes just like dressage where you know where we're, we're going to progress and we're going to be as good as what we reward and if we have educated judges and they say how the sport develops how working equitation develops and if we have an unanxious, calm, fluent, sound horse, like we use the science nowadays, the, and it is getting to be horse management is a science now through the dissection science and all the stuff that you've studied and all that. It is out there that it's not just put that one in the back paddock and go buy a sound one. It is management and it is manageable. It's not, not luck so much or bad luck. So um, as we educate the judges of what riding a horse crooked or contracted or unbalanced, what trouble that's going to cause in the horse's body, therefore it's going to cause pain and it's going to cause all that stuff and then we're going to not have a pleasant, fluent picture. So yeah, the sport is new and how it travels forward is in our hands as to how we manage that stuff. It becomes not like the, some of the other sports where horses are sports equipment and they get used up. Yeah. This is my dream and it might be an unrealistic dream, but you know, it is my dream and I'm, I'm going to dream it 
doesn't, you know, it do, does and doesn't matter to the rest of the world. If they share my dream, I'm just going to keep going because I really enjoy that idea. And, and I think you bring up such a, a marvelous point of the, the horses of a vehicle to a sport versus uh, the relationship being the expression. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, we talk about all this all the time about harmony and partnership, but um, the examples, we need more positive examples like this of what it's like to work with and through a, a troubling time for an, a horse in a way that's so reassuring that the horse comes out of it better for that experience as opposed to, you know, beating him and, you know, and making, you know, creating pain and punishment when the horse never understood the task in the first place. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and it's such a, it's so ingrained in so much of the horse world from the past of this idea that, you know, they're just a beast and you have to make them do it. But as we keep evolving and understanding and learning, we realize that they are, they are aware. Um, and for me, that's what, you know, Surefoot has taught me more than anything is just how aware they are that we are not oh, paying attention. Huge. Absolutely huge. It goes, I mean, weekly, I'm like amazed. So I'm going to show a video now of, I just love this partnership between this woman and this horse. And this is at the upper level. This is a French woman. She traveled to the United States to compete in, why is that not going? Let's try it down here. Nah. So... Let me move that over there. Hang on, I've got to find the sound. Okay. This is a Vimeo, so I'm not sure where the sound thing is. We have, uh, so somebody, well, I'm just reading the comments. Um, we have great fun for beginner Jerry with my adopted feral girl who's had two years with humans putting principles to purpose. Can't wait to do more as we learn to trust each other with this sport. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, it is. I, I've seen so many people empowered by this. It is, I could tell so many stories. <laughs> um, anyway, so this is top level. And watch the source. We have to watch it all the way to the end, three, four minutes, whatever it is. Um, and what she do, what happens at the end and the look on his face. And it's a speed round. So she's riding here for it's about fifteen or twenty thousand dollars. Oh wow. Texas. So there's money in it. <laughs> oh in, that, in this place there is, yeah. But generally not not much. Okay. So here, look at this for side pass. Wow. Well, and, and it's engaged, isn't it? I was going to say, it's totally engaged. He never crosses that hind leg over the other one so that he keeps the power. Yeah. And that's where the speed comes from. And that's what people have to realize is yeah. that if you, if you take that out, you don't have yeah. the speed and character and carriage that you really need for this level. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Reins in one hand, he is so powerful and 
he knows where she is and she knows where he is every step of the way. Look at the backup. And I always wonder why, why didn't she turn left there? Why'd she turn right? I don't know. Why. <laughs> and here, forward, galloping around the sister, a um, 18 feet wide, six meters wide, that thing. And she galloped forward around there. And he's a big horse. She's yeah, no, he is a big horse. But so organized. Accelerate so in a moment. She can come back in a moment. Bell. He's like ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't disengage going back. I don't go back too much. And then here, this goes on forever. Here we are, double slalom. But it's at speed, so she's not perfect on the changes, but she does them. And he's so there. Yep, and, it, and the keeping phenomenal. him straight for his changes, he gets a little crooked on his right to left, doesn't he? But he stays quite straight. And, you know, riding one-handed does put a twist in the rider, so... Oh, exactly. Okay, with his ears pricked, where are we going next, Mum? Yep. Yep, there. Now down to the other end of the ring. I mean, it's a good bit of galloping for a... Oh, wow, yeah, look at that. And then a stop, change, switch a cup. He waits for her right on time. He better be right, because he... <laughs> I can see him going, Mom, hey, come on. <laughs> now gauge. Engaged. Still engaged. Back. Oh, there's a bobble there, but not because the back end disengaged. No, the front end got... Oh, over the bridge at speed. Cross. Let's the reins go. Now watch right here. And that's special. Wow. I just a lovely reach, flat-footed walk, as if he just yep. came to the park. Absolutely. Cool, eh? Awesome. Yeah, video is a bit choppy, but you can find this video. Um, it's available. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Marie, what, what's the name of it again? Can you tell me that? I'll just put it in the chat. The video? Yep. That one was on Cup 216 International Speed Phase, Claire Mukakdel Zavako. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's okay. That's enough. That'll get them there. Yeah. Um, but really, really lovely. Mm -hmm. So if you just unshare your screen now, we'll just, we'll just bring this to a close. I think that's a terrific place to wrap this up. Hang on. I've got to get there. Move something. <laughs> unshare at the top. There you go. So, right. you know, this has just been really uh, fascinating because um, you know, Marie and I didn't talk about what she was going to talk about, but I just love how this fits in with the talks that we've had this week, especially with Lucinda on Monday and Laura, Lauren yesterday, and this whole idea of it, it's about taking that time to actually help your horse find that peaceful place so that we're learning, we're educating in calmness so that there's true understanding. Yes. 
And, and that the, is the piece for me is that when the horse understands what we're asking and understands the job, you can leave them for six months or a year in the yeah. field. Maybe they're not fit, but they still know the job. Yeah. Still willing in the job. Mm -hmm. And so this has just been, I, I'm thrilled. I think this was fabulous. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and it's really fun to see your training tapes and, uh, and to bring home that point. And so thank you so much for doing this. I know it, was, it took a little bit to get organized. <laughs> oh, you know me. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So, and I, I, you know, I have, I didn't go through all the tapes. I have, I went through half of them and I think there's more somewhere, but. Well, we can always have you come back and do this again. Okay. Don't yeah, worry. Well, let me recover from this one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, and, and Marie is actually one of our four hoof uh, equine uh, surefoot practitioners, sorry, and she's in New Zealand and Colorado, so she can actually help people with their horses using surefoot. So um, do keep that in mind if you're out in either Colorado or when Marie gets back to New Zealand, um, you can look her up and she can come out and work with you and your horse. Yeah. So thank you so much, Marie. Thank you everybody for you're joining welcome. us. Thank you, Wendy. You yep. are great. Yep, You're and a push remember up. they're all on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel, so you can go back and watch this webinar anytime you like. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks. Sure. Thanks, Marie. Good to see you. Okay, bye. bye.